All right, let's pray and let's see if we can do some good here. Almighty and everlasting God, who through your Son has assured us of forgiveness and deliverance from eternal death, strengthen us, we beg, that we follow in the way of your saints, daily increasing in faith and someday beholding the beautiful face of Christ, through whose holy name we pray. Amen. All right, happy all saints. Good to see you. You got uh, all sorts of things happening right in a row, so that's very nice. And then things are going to start to get busy here, so that's good too. Um, you know, I don't think Pastor Nelson exactly said that we need strong backs and weak minds, but if he was going <laughs> to translate that, you know, that's probably what he So here's the good news. I mean, the good news is there are, you know, several hundred thousand dollars in organ pipes sitting across the street in the Lurt trailer. Here's the bad news. Um, if it gets hit by an atom bomb before they get in the building, what will we do? Here's the good news. If you come at 1230, you could help bring those pipes inside and make them safe. Uh, you know, uh, and while you're here, you could probably sign up for alert training with Steve Chester. So you could probably this afternoon, in the course of an hour, you could probably carry 100-year-old organ pipes that are being repurposed and run a chainsaw. Now, this is not an opportunity that most churches will offer you, but we at St. John... We like to be inclusive. So, uh, no, quite seriously, if you have, this is a good step for us because we want to get uh, our stuff here and in the building. I think there's probably another trip that needs to be made. Is that true, Steve Chester? You got one more trip? Do you have one more trip to make after this one? At least one more trip. So this will be for many of you like signing up to join the Army. Um, there'll be a repeated commitment over the weeks, right? But we'll just work on today, right? Signing bonuses are available, I'm sure. So 12.30 in front of the church. Um, if you can either carry things or order people around who should carry things, uh, you know who you are. So, uh, you know, come on, come on back. We'll have some fun. The hollow watches are here. This is a little bit frightening for us. Back when I was young, um, hollow watch was younger, and he was an early vicar here. Uh, now, he's an interesting man. Um, he was a doctor before he was a pastor, which makes you wonder about his sanity. Apparently, he wasn't a, you know. So, I, you know, I did ask him about the parts. My knee is bad here, a little bit in the morning in my hip when I wake up. He didn't have any interest in that, but he does know about the baby Jesus. Still in the same parish to which you were called out of the seminary. How many years now? Twelve years. A um, couple, of, couple of daughters who married pastors, which then, of course, makes you wonder how the, how the hollow watches raise their children. I mean, that's the sort of thing where you just say, you know, what are they thinking about? Uh, but um, it's just fabulous to have you back. You favor us. Um, they're here for, for the conference in Fort Wayne and kind of drove over for church this morning, so that's a nice thing. Um, so welcome back. Um, he was, you know, among the best vicars we've ever had, and that's... Uh, I actually don't say that to all of them, to be honest with you. <laughs> Sorry to have that on tape. Uh, so it's nice to have you both back and to be, and it's nice actually, you know, uh, to stay in your parish for a long time and, and do some good. And uh, so that, that, that's, that's just a happy thing. Um, I feel like there's one more thing. Am I forgetting anything, anybody? The basket, we'll put money in for Haiti, and we'll send it uh, in a way that gets there. And, and uh, you know, let's see, probably have a, it's hard to find a better target. So we'll try to send that in some way that it's used well. Anything else? What else have we got going on? Anything? Um, you know, it's a big crowd this morning. So we're going to, the crowds are sort of getting bigger. So we'll just have to adjust. Um, I still, you know, I still want to try not ushering to communion. Because I figure, you know, all you high-powered people who, 
say you walk to the train without an usher every morning, you know, and you get up and walk to the, I still think you could find the, oh, I'm still, I'm still, if some Sunday we may come and just say, hey, you're on your own. Uh, yeah, I know, you don't think that's funny, but I think it would be great. Because you'd be kind of, there'd be more of you there. It'd look like NASCAR three lanes wide instead of just one lane wide, right? Because this is a, you know, we just always go left, just like NASCAR. You always turn left, and then, you know, but if we went, you know, some of you, it would be interesting. We'll see, maybe someday. Nothing else? We all good? All right, here's what we're going to, and Pastor Nelson, you heard a little bit about uh, his work and then also his sabbatical, so that's sort of interesting if you're here the last couple of weeks. So, all right, um, but that won't come for a little while yet. We need to catch up just a little bit. Um, Woe in these latter days with a couple of days to go to the election. Um, I've been thinking a lot about trust, uh, but not so much um, about politicians, first about pastors. I was a part of what I did in, in uh, California was give lectures for three days to pastors. And uh, it was a really fine group. And, but I, I will say here, there, kind of everywhere, among pastors, the buzzword is always about trusting each other. And every once in a while, somebody will jump up and say, you know, we and actually try to pass a, you know, a resolution because, of course, that's what Jesus did, um, uh, that we should all trust each other, right? And then you kind of go to yourself, you know, how does, that, how does that exactly work? And, of course, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't work at all. You know, trust isn't a thing that can be legislated. In some sense, trust is earned or uh, trust is reaction. So I've given you, you know, a couple of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach back um, to just the end of, so Mr. Heck was so kind this morning. He said, um, your date is ahead. It's a couple of days ahead. And I said, actually, my date is about a month behind, the date that you have. But see, some of you are so, you know, you're so, you, your ducks are so much in a row that you think every time I hand one out, I'm going to finish. You know, after 20 years, you would think to yourselves, perhaps there's an outside chance that Bruzek won't say everything, you know. But I give you that almost as an alternative to go home and read some stuff. Just, but I just want to try this. So we, we've, we've had this, you know, I'm going to try to talk talk about thinking today, thinking about thinking. That's what we did last time. And I want to try to go more slowly and try to suggest to you why you don't have to be so worried even when people um, don't like you much or even discriminate against you for the way that you think. I think there's a way that you can move through life. You may not always have the advantages um, that other people have if this all plays out correctly or not correctly, if it all plays out the way on the trajectory in which it seems to be going. But you will have, at least on these two square blocks, a place where you're warm and faith and dry, and you can resonate with the prayer that we said today that was all about people who continue to walk faithfully despite anything else that happens in life, right? So I would suggest to you that it works like this way. You can't legislate trust, or you can't say to people, trust me, or you can't make people trust you. You can't make people do anything. What you can do is love people. And the command to love people is everywhere. In fact, there was a brilliant you know, quote by now and today where he said, you probably, you, I mean, you, I know you're looking around the church at All Saints Day and you probably look around and you go, these people, you know, these people have sort of an angle on who God is, these people who have done all these things, why would I trust these? And then you know, he sort of answers his own question by talking about how God loves us. And it is in fact true that um, when you've been well loved, you do trust people. That's another way of saying you respect them as an authority, or you listen to them. Not always. You know, we don't do a good job with this always, in the way that your kids don't always listen to you, even though you love them. 
you vexed your Heavenly Father repeatedly because he's loved you so well, and yet, you know, you sort of make it up as you go along, as I do too, right? We think so often about just in every day, you know, let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. Just every day you think of all the ways that you sort of vex your your Heavenly Father and your guardian angel has to sort of go, you know, cover his eyes, like, oh, not that again, right? So, you know, what you'd hope for is that, and, and so how do, you, how do you break that? Well, one is you can, you know, you try to put, do it all yourself, but the truth is, in all things, you think about the love of God for you. So, I mean, the service this morning, I mean, really, and I can say this because I didn't do anything, right? I mean, I just went to church this morning. It was startling the amount of times you heard the, how much God loves you this morning. From the music to the incense to the Eucharist to the full plate to the baptism to everything, all the times you heard about how God comes to you and loves you in spite of yourself. And I would suggest to you um, that's primary among the reasons you might trust him and even accept his authority. And let me say to you that in your everyday life, you accept all kinds of people on authority far less. So if I'm going to buy a coffee maker, what do I do? You know? I look at consumer reports. I like, you know, green and big numbers, right? That's what I like. Of course, what do my kids do if they're going to buy something? What do my kids do? Yeah, they go online. They look on Facebook. Because, of course, all those nameless, faithless people on Facebook are smarter than anybody that would live near to them, right? (laughs) It's all about who you trust, right? It's all about who you trust. So open your Bible. We're just going to read the story of the boy from Nain. Now, you may not think this is your story, but this is your story. So we had the first um, catechumenate yesterday. By the way, if you know anybody who should come to, kind of interested in St. John, tell them to come along. We'll buy him breakfast at 8.30 on Saturday, and we'll talk about the baby Jesus and his blessed mother, okay? So um, send them along. It's, it's, you know, people, it's always tough if people come three or four or five weeks afterwards because the, the The baptismal stuff is critical to understanding who you are. Okay, Luke 7, the boy from Nain. If you're uh, keeping score, I'm just doing the last page or two from uh, a really long time ago. I'm just doing the last page or two from from outline two. Just a little bit to just, I need to kind of bundle things up before next weekend we really start to go. So uh, this story of Nain, Luke 7 Verse 11, kind of following, okay? So Jesus went to a city called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. So Jesus is still pretty popular. People are starting to love him. They're starting to respect him. They're starting to follow him. They're intrigued by him. As Jesus drew near to the gate of the city, a man who, was, who had died was being carried out. So you have to kind of have this, you know, Nain's not going to be a huge place, so gate of the city means kind of where they walked out, right? So, you know, there's pub, it's narrow. They're coming this way. The body's coming this way. You all know that to be a good Jew and to touch that is to be defiled. And so people who people did their sacred duty to care for a, 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 a dead body and mourners from the family would come close, but most people would uh, sort of hold back in order not to be polluted, right? So um, what you'd expect is that people would move away. A man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and that should ring all your bells when it's only son of your mother. So you think... Um, uh, she doesn't have a husband to protect her. She doesn't have a son to care for her. She's getting older. There's no sort of safety net. She'll be completely dependent on somebody else. Her future might be in jeopardy. We'll just have to see what happens here. A man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow. So no son, no mother, right? 
and a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion. There it is, right? So Jesus um, looks at people who are broken, and he has compassion on them. And, you know, I just, I, this is the primary characteristic of being a Christian, to love other people in their brokenness, right? In their despair, no matter who they are. And I've talked about this over the first weeks, but I just, you know, this whole notion of, you know, how people are so angry in America right now and so afraid, right? Um, and, and they feel alone and unloved, you know? Everybody is telling you. Nobody, people think I don't matter, you know, my place isn't secure. Um, people lash out, right? So alone and unloved, angry and afraid, those are most of the people that you're going to bump into. And then our normal reaction, human reaction, is often to step back from that for a couple of reasons. One is we're too busy for that. Another is, if that's how they treat me, another is, um, that's not my business, you know. Another is, um, doesn't make me feel good to engage that. Pick as many reasons as you want why people don't engage the broken, you know, the smelly, the hungry, the homeless, the whatever, the sinners, right? The rich, right? The people who are um, flagrant in, in um, their defiance of God. You know, I've, I've tried to tell you over and over again, so I hope I just, you know, I'll just kind of throw this out there again, but Jesus is very rarely angry. Anger, I mean, he can get angry, but it's rare. And Jesus' anger is righteous, and yours isn't because you're not righteous, right? And yours has the shelf life of manna. You can have one day, and then you're done being angry. And nobody's very good at it, and it's usually not very helpful, but it is our natural reaction. So look at Jesus, or to be afraid. Right to worry, to be afraid. I don't know that I should engage that. I don't know if I can understand that. I don't know if I can help that. I don't know if I want to be involved. This is the Good Samaritan story, right? It's so many of the stories Jesus teaches. Now, look what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't think about himself, right? So all the reasons I've given you for not engaging are thoughts about yourself. Right? And you should, in the back of your head, be hearing Luther saying, you know, when you sin, it's because your eyes are turned inward on your own heart. So Jesus is not turned inward. You know, Jesus is always turned outward. That's the, the nature of agape, to be selfless, to love selflessly, to always do what's for Bev. The way we love her is to do what's best for her, right? Dave Dorn, the way you could love Dave Dorn is to do what's best for Dave, right? Not about yourself, right? What does it mean to do what's best for other people? And Jesus lives a life of doing what's best. So he sees this brokenness, and his reaction isn't to withdraw or to be angry, right? His reaction is to engage in love, compassion. So Jesus has this, you know, he says to her, um, Jesus has compassion on her, he says to her, hey, don't weep. Right? Which is a crazy thing to say. And he came, and then this is where it gets really interesting. He touched. Which is to completely put himself in the circumstance. So Jesus defiles himself by touching. He does exactly the opposite of everybody else. As few people as possible are going to try to touch this. 
And Jesus leans in and he touches. Now, I've said to you a zillion times, the gospel is touch. It's touch of words on your eardrums. It's touch of water on your skin. It's touch of body and blood on your tongue. It's touch of forgiveness and absolution. The gospel is touch, 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 touch from the incarnate flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. So Jesus touched the bear, and the bear stood still, and he said, and so in honor of Reformation Day, Luther's great understanding, God speaks realities, right? God speaks realities. So if God says, let there be light, there's light. And if Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, they're forgiven. And if Jesus says, this is my body, then it's his body. And watch. And Jesus, who speaks reality, says, don't weep. Rise up. Young man, I say to you, rise up. Jesus speaks reality. So touch, touch. Touch, touch. Touch with hand, touch with words. Touch, touch. That's the gospel. Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up. There's only one story in scripture. It's the story of resurrection, right? Just one story. Every story in scripture is the story of resurrection. Touch, touch. Jesus resurrects you. The dead man sat up and he began to speak, which is to say he's all there. Boom. Right? And he gave him to his mother. Right? So what does this mother want most? She wants her son back. And he gave him to his mother. Gift, gift. Fear, you know, righteous fear, sees them. And they glorified God. Not fear like they run the other way because it's, you know, um, the walking dead. This is uh, just the opposite. Fear sees kind of this righteous fear like, whoa, something important just happened here. Fear sees them. And they glorified God, which is they said to God, thank you very much. Or if you want to hear it um, a little stronger toward where we're going, thank you very much, or this is really great, or I believe what I saw, but I can't really believe what I saw. Remember on Easter when in Luke's gospel they said um, um, they disbelieved their seeing for joy. It's like I can't possibly believe this is true, right? So their reaction to Jesus is trust. They glorified God and said what? A great prophet has arisen in our midst. They trust him. He loves them. They trust him. Love, trust, that's the order. He loves them. In response, they trust him. Pause. So slowly over the years that I've been here, probably I need to repent of this from way back when Hollowatch was here. Uh, but this, this is why you have a vicar, because they teach you things. So, you know, he was a gentle soul. And, um, you know, he read good books, too. I remember that. So, but when Hollowatch was here back then, we probably ruined him. We probably gave him the notion that faith was a data dump. So I was much more interested when I came. This happens to you when you go to pastor school. You get all mixed up. You have to come and be normal for a while before you can return to normalcy. So, um, you know, we had this notion earlier on, or I did, and it, it's, some, it's partially true, like every heresy, that um, it's important to learn things. Of course it's important to learn things. And you're always, I mean, the great example of this is every time we have a speaker in from who isn't used to St. John for the men's retreat or the women's retreat, they always have to stay up and rewrite their lectures for the next day because they're always startled by how much you know. Secretly, this makes us happy. So, um, you know, so it's, it's very, very interesting, right? Um, 
Because you're very, you're, I mean, you're very, you're very, so in one sense, you do have to know things. It's good for you to know. Like I was thinking about the liturgy today, how it sort of goes. When I don't have to do anything except go to church, I'm always um, kind of watching the pieces, and I'm struck by how the pieces flow one into another. And I'm always kind of struck by you who can go through all these things with, it's not just that you don't need any instruction. There's sort of this organic flow to what's happening, up and down and back and forth, and people answering and saying their prayers, and you know when to sing and you know when to talk, and there's no instruction. And if I instructed you, that would be insulting. If I ever had to say to you, stand up, I mean, I, I'm sure what you would say would be, of course we know we're supposed to stand up here. Why don't you relax up there? It's going to be fine, right? Well, I mean, this is, this is the whole point of trust and authority and love and how things work. Faith is a... It is something about the data, but one of the great mistakes of the Enlightenment was the redefinition of faith, not as believing, but as knowing, of scientia, right? Science, knowing facts. So of knowing facts rather than um, fiducia, trusting like fiduciary, right? Trusting with your heart. So in the first analysis, yes, of course, it's good for you to know a lot. We want you to know everything about everything. Yes, we do, in every direction. You know, from music to art to liturgy to, you know, that the floors came from outside Jerusalem where Jesus walked. We want you to know that. Of course, we want you to know that. But the most important thing is this. Jesus says, I love you, and you say, I love you back. Or Jesus says, there's a Taze song. I don't know if you remember we sing this. Oh, Lord, I trust you. You would think the lyric would say, Oh, Lord, I love you. It talks about Jesus loving you, and the response is, Oh, Lord, I trust you. It's very interesting. But, of course, that's the experiential order of what happens here. That God loves you, favors you, gives you good gifts, takes away all of your sins, and your response is, Hey, I'm following you. When you understand that, what's happened to you? The natural reaction is to trust. Now, of course, where I'm going, of course, is, you know, what's the creed good for? You know, I started by saying the creed is, it starts with Jesus being tender with you. The creed is not this, it's not a data dump. The creed is this. For a whole service, by the time you've gotten to the creed, we, you've heard about how tender Jesus is. You've had the Kyrie where he forgives you. You've had the invocation where he puts his name on you. You've heard the gospel where he loves you. You've heard a sermon where the pastor tries to say to you, only Christ and nothing else. By the time you come to the creed, your first thought should be, Jesus is tender with me. Jesus, And your natural response to someone who loves you in this way, if you understand how horrible it was before, you were dead and now you are alive, the prodigal son. You were lost and now you are found. The Good Samaritan. Here's two denarii, and if it costs more, I'll come back and clean up the balance later, right? Every story in Scripture is this story, that Jesus loves you, and he's trying to evoke in you the response of love and trust. Follow me. I'll follow you. Don't fear. I won't fear, right? So this is exactly what happens in this text. Um, he said, a young man, I say to you, rise up. And the dead man sat up, and he began to speak, and he gave him to his mother. And fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited his people. And this report concerning him spread through the whole of Judea and the surrounding country. How you doing? You doing okay? So love, then trust. Okay, Mr. Hecht, we're all the way to number three. Only a month behind right now. 
right? <clears throat> Feeling good about myself too, all right? Um, so I do want to talk a little bit about thinking. And I, uh, it's actually, you know, again, Hollowich is here. We should have had him, we should have had him do this because he's a scientist by nature. But I tried to tell you last time, and I was, you know, in a bit of a hustle and trying to move things through things too quickly. But um, so often Christians can provoke or Christians can react or Christians can be victim of, and it's a bit more of that these days, victim of, um, frankly, people who think you don't think very well. Now, that can make you, when somebody says that you're stupid, um, that can be, you know, uncomfortable and often draw a reaction. But as my English teacher, Mrs. Shackford, used to say, consider the source. So, <clears throat> uh, my high school English teacher, bless her soul, she once said, if you don't like Shakespeare, you're all bad. So I've kind of <laughs> lived, lived by that, okay? So, um, but, but let's, let's, sort of, let's, sort of, let's sort of take these things where it's a rub, because it's only going to get worse, you know, I'm not taking sides on any of this kind of stuff, but you know there was the, the email leak about the Catholic Church and about stupid Catholics and stupid or evangelicals, to which some bishops in America have reacted poignantly. Um, but it is interesting when people tell you exactly what they think of you, right? One of the things I always tell the vicar is, um, every conversation is recorded and every email will be released. <laughs> so, um, and, I, and I always say, you know, imagine when you write that, that you'll be in front of a voters meeting and need to defend that. So I'm sure there are a few. Every once in a while, you know, an old friend will write me something, and I write something back that I'm glad none of you have seen. But other than that, you know, <laughs> unless my friends betray me, um, you know, we'll see what happens. So I took you through this first part about, you know, the big faith and my faith. There's almost no sense of the big faith anymore or faith as an objective thing, right? Or faith as a canon, as a straight line by which you can tell crooked lines. In some ways, people hardly ever talk about that anymore. But of course, you know what? The faith is meant to do many things. The creed is meant to do many things, right? It's meant to do many things. It's meant to tell you that Jesus is tender with you, of course. But it is, often, it is also meant for you to be able to tell straight from crooked, right from wrong. Now, I, be, I began last time, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say what I said last time more slowly. If you, don't, if you get this, just let me keep going. If you don't get this, you should stop me. But you, the thing is, there is <clears throat> kind of in American universities for the last 60 or 50 or 80 years, you know, this thing called the hermeneutic of suspicion. It's a very simple thing. Academics always give big names to small things. But it basically means, hey, when you, when you talk to me, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure you're all bad and you're probably lying to me, okay? That's a hermeneutic of suspicion. This couldn't possibly be true, or this is probably a lie, or you're trying to, it's very, it's like kindergarten stuff. It's like you're trying to take advantage of me, and you're probably really not going to invite me to your birthday party. So, you know, this is, I mean, it's at this level where people are, you know, that's, so this, this thing of, and you can't, when this happens, when there's this hermeneutic, when you talk to people, and the, all they think about you is, you're stupid, you're bad, you're a liar. You know, there can be no human community. And this, of course, is why we're all breaking down into parties of one. It's like a big restaurant and everybody's at their own table. Party of one, yeah, over here. Why? Because we're too miserable to be with each other, right? Um, and we clump in 
larger, more miserable tribes. You know, the Christians are one tribe and the anti-Christians are another tribe and the kind of antagonistic folks are another tribe. You know, we're, we're becoming very tribal. I've talked about this over the past few years. Now, almost every, almost every headline you see, in fact, the Wall Street Journal yesterday, I think yesterday had, front page, I think, of the third or fourth section was something about the tribal connections. I'm like, well, yeah, there it is. What happens is, is Christians have been used to being in charge for a long time. And all around us, that's sort of fallen down. Now, I'm not saying this in a woe is me kind of way, but for example, take great Christian or Catholic universities. Most of them um, no longer survive as great Christian or Catholic universities. Right? They've, they've sort of given things away in a range of, for a range of reasons, primarily, honestly, about money, primarily about money, because if you take government funding, you have to toe a particular line. And so if you, now this all goes back to, hey, the Christian church doesn't tithe, so they get what they deserve, right? If we're going to give 1% or 2%, we get what we deserve. So, I mean, this is all on us. It's not on somebody else. If we were generous and we said we're going to support a university and we're going to support it really well, we'd have at least one place where we didn't have that problem. And you'll notice, for example, there's four or five really great Catholic universities that don't take government money. There's a few evangelical ones as well. And they just sort of say, People are always saying how stupid they are, and they're like, you know, they're there. We're just going to keep teaching what matters, right? Because they're well-funded, and they don't have to kowtow to survive. And this is just a great example of, you know, what do you choose? You choose Jesus or keeping your job? Well, at some point, right? So um, anyway, the larger, even among, even in the church, there's always the suspicion that you're trying to do me in. And that's why community has been broken in so many ways. And it also gives rise to different kinds of theologies that have different emphases. Now it's getting a little more technical. The point of all this is, if you say Paul was homophobic, Jesus was probably gay, um, that, that um, the bishops were patriarchs who wrote this up in order to keep people who didn't look like them down, that is, women. And then people always make this mistake of saying, and white men, but of course, Check your history, because uh, uh, east of the Mediterranean, there's not a lot of white men in the, those years. But in any case, right? So, but if you have these kind of presuppositions that this is this is basically the presupposition isn't that you love me, that you hate me, and you're trying to hold me down. If you take that as the church's presupposition, that's what the church is meant to do. You're going to read things in one way. Um, but if you presume in even the broadest sense that God loves us and he speaks to us through his Holy Spirit and that comes to us in scripture and it comes to us in the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ for whom the stories are pretty reliably told and preserved for the past 2,000 years and gave birth to what is the greatest institution in the history of the world. And that institution, now check it friends, is marked by love and not by hate, is marked by calm and not by fear, is marked by forgiveness and not by revenge. See, some of this is on us. Then the church will flourish. Where there's love, there's God. Where there's love, things will flourish. Where there's love, I mean, Jesus does say the gates of hell won't prevail. When he says, he says the gates of hell won't, won't, won't prevail against my church, when he says that, he's actually not talking to the corner of um, cross and seminary. He's not talking about this corner right here. There's no guarantee that these two blocks will survive. There is a guarantee that the church, somewhere, somehow, will be preserved. So you've got to tend your knitting, right? 
And we need to be people who are generous. We need to be people who are loving. We need to be people who don't exact vengeance. These are all themes that we've talked about for years now, right? And we need to be people who are given to trust. Trust is this easy. Jesus comes to a dead person. Jesus says, you're alive. And the boy sits up and says, now, what did he say? Can you imagine what that boy must have said? But it had something to do with, thank you very much, or that was really weird, or it's nice to be back, or there's my mother, or could I follow, right? Or where's your next gig, right? Can you imagine what it was like to be this boy? I assure you that his reaction was love for love. I assure, I assure you that his, his reaction to Jesus was, you love me, I trust you. There's nothing I can do to make you trust Jesus, right? There's nothing I can do to make you trust Jesus. Third, third article, I believe I can't believe in the catechism. I believe that I can't, by my own strength, believe in Jesus Christ or come to him, but the Holy Ghost is called me by the gospel, right? So I can, there's nothing I can do. But when Jesus loves me, then I say, I love you, thank you, I trust you, you're my authority. You're my canon, my straight line, right? You're my way, my truth, my life, right? Here we go. Now it starts to make sense. Um, hold on to that when your reaction, especially now when people are so hard on Christians, and it, it like will get worse. I'm not the dire thing of, you know, we're going to die in the streets tomorrow, but... Um, the lectures I gave in California, I started with the notion that um, America has become rather happily unchristian. Happily unchristian, right? Kind of happily ready to go its own way, a different way, and what that would mean for the church. Um, what I want it to mean for you is that even when somebody insults you, listen to the gospel coming up in the next couple of weeks where he says they'll take you before councils and this and that. I think it's the last Sunday of the church where I was peeking ahead. And, you know, your, your kids will turn you in and your spouse will, parents will turn in kids and kids will turn in parents and it'll just be a mess. And Jesus sort of says, you know, let's just kind of enjoy your life until that happens. And then when you get there, I'll give you something to say, right? And then like St. Lawrence, you know, when they put you over the fire, you remember St. Lawrence, they put him over the fire to burn him to death. And he cries out from the fire, turn me over, this side's done, it's only mildly funny, <laughs> right? So um, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, now I'm going to skip you ahead to this notion of, um, I'm kind of at the point of, of um, that for, the creed is a touchstone or a launch pad, okay? Or this is, what we, this is where we start to think. And we don't get angry, don't force other people to think that way. Um, but is the creed tyranny or freedom? You know, people outside the church think it's a tyranny, that you don't belong to yourself, that you love your neighbor ahead of yourself, that your order in your life, something goes like Jesus and other people and then yourself, and maybe your other yourself isn't even on the list, right? So I just want to make sure that I said this well. Last time when I talked about, there's two things I, I talked about thinking. Thinking is actually really easy, okay? Um, thinking is really easy. You just sort of make, you know, you make some sort of a proposition. I don't know, um, what? Uh, what? You know, you make a proposition and you just hang weights on it. That's all you do. And some things are more weightier than others. Um, you know, some things are, you have a load of evidence 
You have, you have reasons, right? See how this proposition that, the, the, you know, that grass is green, that's so boring, but it's all I can think of right now, right? But you can, um, you know, you can run light spectrum text on it. You can just open your eyes and have a look at it. You can ask your next door neighbor why his grass is greener than yours. You, you know, there is, um, you just sort of, and you sort of evaluate these things. Well, here's the thing. Like for me, when I think about things, um, a really big factor for me is, um, is that, that, that Scripture said it, or Jesus said it, or Jesus lived in that particular way. For people who aren't Christians, that's a very small argument indeed. Not much weightiness there, right? So all thinking is you hang a proposition in the air, and you ask for the reasons that it's true. It's all it is. And you add up the reasons, and you pick you know, one or the other. In the simplest way, that's all reasons are. It's just identifying what people are saying, and then seeing the reasons that say this. So if you say, you know, um, all people whose skin is different color than mine are, are really horrible or, or really stupid or really something else, you should um, be able to give the reasons for that. I can give you a lot of reasons, starting with Jesus, who wasn't a white man, um, for why that's not true. Right? Jesus was a Jew. He didn't look like me. So um, that's one thing. The other thing is just this whole notion of knowing what game you're playing. Everybody who thinks has rules, everybody who thinks clearly has rules for the game. Now, what's happened in, over the past 300 years is, you know, basically the scientific way of thinking. It's one way of thinking. It's a respectable way of thinking. You shouldn't have an argument with science, right? It's a way of thinking. You have to understand, so people are doing this inside this. This is how we think. And these are the things that are important to us. And the more things you can stack up, like you know, observation or repeatability for science or for mathematics, that you know, the proof actually works out. Ask Mr. Howenstein. The more things that you can stack up. But what happens is, is because other ways of thinking that don't look like ours have taken control. And it can even be basic things like, you know what's really important in America? Not truth, but power. So lie all you want, right? That should be more off-putting to you than some evolutionary theory, right? You know what's really important in, in America? Money's important. So you know what? It doesn't matter if people at the, make the, at the top make 400 times what people at the bottom make, even if you can't see that they're going to eventually riot in the streets because of that, right? If money is the most important thing, Jesus, of course, said, you probably need to move money way down on your list of things that are important because it will destroy you. Money is the, love of money is the root of all evil, right? You wouldn't know that by looking at America, right? It doesn't have to be science. You know, it can just be another way of thinking. What's really important? Lying to people. You know, what's really important? Grabbing power. You know, what's really important? Running other people down. So however bad you are, the other person is worse. Am I ringing any bells for you here? (laughs) Right? Well, what happens is, is Christians who have sort of, maybe we were the last bit of it, or maybe there was just a hangover, but for Christians whose way of thinking, you know, you don't believe in Jesus, we burn you at the stake. That was probably a mistake, okay? (laughs) Might have overplayed our hand there just a little bit. What happens is Christians get all nervous because people say, you're really stupid. What you need to do is like just take a big breath, and then you just, this is where I said you have to just ask what game is being played. To be honest with you, um, 
if you strictly use, you know, a philosophical model or a scientific model, sometimes Christians do seem stupid if it's enforced rigorously enough. So, you know, you can't make the resurrection happen again and again and again. It's a one-off, right? Or if you say there's nothing outside, um, then there's no room for a Christmas tree or a manger, right? Right? There's none of this because it just happened one time. Right? That just happened once. Uh, you know, so, so it just doesn't... Or if you say, if you start by saying there is no God, or let me put it this way, more, maybe more slightly, more scientifically, I don't believe in anything I can't see or measure. Right? Well, okay. I don't believe in anything I can't see or measure. I can't see or measure God, therefore there's no God. Well... Who made you king, right? Why do you get to set up the rules? See, we actually say that there's a different set of rules. Now, you can't be irrational about it. I mean, you can't see, you know, reason works within faith, right? So people just can't make up any story they want. It's like when people come to me after All Saints Day, you know, I will have somebody before the end of the day who will say to me, you know, my wife died five years ago, but this cardinal appears on the bird feeder every morning at 6 a.m. and looks through the window at me with one eye. Just like my wife did. She only had one eye. And so I'm pretty sure that that's my wife on the, and I just, I'm like, can I still give you the Eucharist? That is, right? So it's not just other people, it's us too. But the point is, just, just figure out the game that you're playing. If, if, if the game starts by saying there is no God, right, or there's nothing transcendent, that this is a closed system and there's nothing outside it, out here nothing exists, right? And then people say, why do you get so bent about that? You're just like, yeah. But imagine, and I think each one of you can say this if you're in the church. Imagine that um, you've been healed in a way Dr. Holowetsch can't explain. When we were in England, I don't think I've ever told you this story. We were in England, Kirby had a mass. And it was, we were, I mean, among the other things, always being poor and, you know, um, like that was, that's my ice on the wall stories I told you. And, you know, we didn't have any money partly for food and we didn't have any money for heat. So we left the heat off all winter. We actually had ice on the inside of our apartment walls. Kirby has this mass and, and they said, you know, this will be surgery. We're like, you know, I mean, everything is just coming apart at the seams. And she went in for the, the, the pre-op to, um, you know, to be... Um, and she'd been in a couple of times and had all the tests and stuff. We went in, and then the guy's like real quiet. And he's like, yeah, I can't find it. But not, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you explain that. I mean, how do you explain that? You all have had situations. I've talked to enough of you to know that you've had this. You have all sorts of things that are out here, right? And here's the thing. To be reasonable is just to have reasons. You know, that my wife had something and then she didn't have it, is a reason for me. One explanation could be, is somebody worked that out for me, right? This is not so different than you have sins and somebody worked that out for you. That you have sins and somebody worked that out for you. Or that um, somebody loved you when you needed to be loved desperately. Right? And then they said, well, that's not really me because I'm a horrible person. That's really more about Jesus loving you through me. My point is, what, here's what I want you to do. When you bump into this stuff, instead of reacting to it in anger and fear, I want you to take just a big step back. 
And if you have the time, I want you to see if you can kind of think about the rules of the game. You might have to read a little bit, or frankly, you can let it go, depending on how sensitive you are and how much you want to argue with people and how much calm you need in your own soul. But if you have the experience in somewhere in your life where you know that you were lost and then you were found, or you were dead and you were made alive, or you did horrible things that you couldn't believe that was in you, and Jesus said to you, that's mine now. I'll take that away from you. You can go free. You can have a new life. If you've had an experience like that, that's a real thing, okay? And nobody can tell me or you that that's not a real thing. It's a real thing that's happened to you. And frankly, given the amount of sin in this room, it's a real thing that's happened again and again and again. In this case, it is repeatable, right? Because we come every Sunday and we say, I had a lot of sins this week and now Jesus is going to forgive all of them. And one of the great proofs of the church, if you'll hear it in the sense of giving reasons, is that you actually are generous, that you actually are kind, that you actually try not to live in fear, that you actually do turn the other cheek, that you actually do forgive other people, that you don't ask an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that you're merciful, that you're generous, Christmas sharing, right? That you live together in community. There is a tone in this place. I am so glad to come home. I'm so glad to come home and go to church here because the tone in this congregation is the tone I always wanted to live in, right? That's evidence for something. Is it a lock? No. Very few things are a lock. You know, even scientists will say, I mean, I'll, you know, even scientists will say, hey, we're adding a billion years onto our estimate. Or even scientists get it wrong. I had a woman in my first congregation who had, when she was a child, had really bad acne. And how did the doctor treat her? Gave her x-rays. Yeah, so I got her on her fifth bout of cancer just before she died, just over 50, right? See, doctors can get it wrong, too, and scientists can get it wrong, right? Everybody can get it wrong. So you just, you don't have to be defensive about how Christians think, and if you want to go read Thomas Aquinas, read him, right? If you want to read Luther, read him. If you want to read apologetics, read it. Um, if you want to spend the time doing it, but otherwise you can just sort of say, yeah, I understand what the rules of the game are, but God doesn't live within your rules, right? This does not mean God's capricious or you can make up any God you want. That's another game. So this is the game, the big, big finish. Now, this is the game. This is who God is. This is who God is right here. God is not like this, but God is on the boundary, right? So this is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everything that exists has its existence in Christ. And if you st that's our game. And if you start by thinking that way, then the job is inside that is to make things fit together. So, you know, a lot of you sent me this poll that came out lately where, you know, 27% of Christians thinks that Jesus was a sinner. Or, um, you know, I mean, you, every time this comes out, you know, this, it's like the people, pastors just go, it doesn't mean you can believe anything you want. It means you can believe what Jesus told you, right? So just try, to, just try to line things up. It doesn't matter if it's science or philosophy. You know, it's Kant. It's not, and I gave you this, it's not, it's not um, faith within the bounds of reason. So reason is the outside box and faith has to live inside. No, it's faith is the outside box and reason has to live inside. Make sense? Just, you know, you don't have to be angry. You don't have to be afraid. And I can give you as many books to read about this as you want. There's terribly smart people who have figured this out and chased it down. But here's the problem. In this day and age, nobody cares because this is not a rational world anymore. It's wholly emotional. 
So there's, you, don't know, you won't know almost anybody who's rational. So how do we make our appeal in the church here? We make our appeal through beauty. We make our appeal through kindness. Yes, we could teach a course on apologetics, and we could teach you all the philosophical proofs from Thomas and how it works. It doesn't make any difference. People can't pay attention that long. How can people pay attention? If you give them a cup of cold water when they're parched. If you love them when they know they don't deserve to be loved. If you're the last resource to them. If you're Jesus to them. That's how they find the church, right? And you know, it's a bad way to say it, but the Lord will sort it all out. I was going to say the Lord will have the last laugh, but that's a bit gruesome, you right? <laughs> See, that's a little angry. <clears throat> Well, we should say, as the Lord will sort it all out. And you should go to bed every night and pray that hell is empty. Right? Right? I mean, that's the will of God, that hell would be empty. That nobody... C.S. Lewis, the door to hell is locked from the inside. Right? All right, that catches it up. We finally, finally, finally will get to I believe in God the Father next week. So come back for some more fun. All right, here we go. I love you. I'll see you in a bit. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I love you. Thanks.